Take your seats. So do Christians really love their enemies? Do Christians really love their enemies? We're going to read some verses out of the Bible in a moment, and you will see that it is completely clear from the Bible that Christians should love their enemies. It says that very clearly in ways that can't be culturally maneuvered to mean something else. We are supposed to love our enemies. I must acknowledge in the preparation of the sermon, we pastors get resources from all over the place, but Eugene Peterson, um, one of my favorite authors and pastors, helped me a lot with this sermon. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and we know them well, the Beatitudes and all of those kinds of things where he says crazy things like, like blessed are the peacemakers and, and blessed are the poor in spirit and, and, and he's turning the world upside down. Um, he's talking about what it looks like to have the values of God's kingdom in your heart and to live those out rather than the way the world lives things out. And then he goes on to say a bunch of things. He says, you have heard it said. And when he does that, he then refers to something from the Old Testament, and then he, he, he changes it. He doesn't take it away. He says, this isn't about keeping that law in the Old Testament, it's about what's going on in your heart. You've heard it said, you know, do not kill. But I tell you that if you hate somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. And, and, in verse 43, he says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now there's a really interesting little thing that Jesus is doing there because half of that sentence is in the Bible. It comes from Leviticus 19 verse 18. Love your neighbor. But the second half, hate your enemies, is not. It wasn't part of the law, but it had become part of the culture. It had become part of the religious culture of his day where Judaism said you must love your neighbor, but you must hate your enemies. And it's natural, the Romans were oppressing them, lots of people had oppressed them. And so it had been gone from just love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, and hate your enemies. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Uh, there's no other way to interpret that passage to mean anything other than Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of his, you must love your neighbor and you must love your enemy. Not in some theoretical way, but in a practical way. But not only does Jesus say that, um, and it's not only a kind of that verb love, that the Bible says is so important. But, but listen to what the Song of Solomon has to say about love. In Song of Solomon 8, verse six and seven, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. 
It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Now, we know that the Song of Solomon is a poem, it's a love poem, and poets are poets. But we've all been in that place where we felt that love can be like that. That it doesn't matter what happens, I will continue to love. The Bible speaks to Christians and says we are to love our enemies. But let's be honest, we have a less than stellar record. We have a less than stellar record. Just think of slavery. People treated as property, taken from their homes to a foreign country, just given new names. We can't say your name, so we're just gonna give you another name. And to be sure, many of the Christ people that did that weren't Christians, but many of them were. We still have denominations in our world that were founded on slavery. What about apartheid? I can remember being taught to hate my enemy. I can remember during my national service being shown pictures that were designed to teach me to hate another human being. Genocides. We wish all genocides were committed by people of other faiths, don't we? Or atheists. The Rwandan genocide. Rwanda was one of the most Christianized countries in Africa, do you know that? We wish that, that it was just the other people that, but if we look in history, we will see that some genocides have been committed in the name of Jesus. People that are different to us, homosexuals, people that have different ways of living, have come to believe that God hates them. The only way someone can learn to believe that God hates them is when people hate them. Indigenous people all over the world. When you read stories of, of indigenous people becoming followers of Jesus and then immediately being given another name, a Christian name. It wasn't usually a Christian name, but it was usually an English name. The truth is that Christians have not always loved their enemies. In fact, very often they haven't. I'm so glad that that's them. But all of us, when the pastor says, love your enemies, have that person that we think of, don't we? That person, am I really supposed to love that person? 
And, and the truth is that person may be a horrible, godless, wicked, terrible human being that has done bad, bad things to us and to other people. That other person may be Hitler. We've all got that person that we think of. Surely Jesus doesn't mean that person. The hard thing is that I think he did. I think that he did. To be sure, we mustn't think that because we love somebody that means we let them do what they like. That's not so. Or we, or we you know, we must, well, we'll figure it out. You see, I think as Christians, we all acknowledge the theory. But life. But life, pastor. You see, it's, it's great for you to say that, but life. Folks, we're not the first people to struggle with this. Even way back in the New Testament, God's people were struggling with this idea that they had to love everybody, including their enemies. John of Patmos is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. There are five books that are credited to John of Patmos. The Gospel of John, Book of Revelation, which we will talk about as two magnificent mountains. They're beautiful. They're these big, long books. The first one is a description of of the Messiah, of Jesus coming into the world. And, and John just can't get over the fact that, that he'd seen God and that he'd hung out with Jesus and that Jesus loved him. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. It celebrates our salvation. It's beautiful to look at. And we love going there. We like those people who love to hark up in a mountain. And then there's that other book, that book of Revelation, at the end, when, when it tells us what's gonna happen one day and it will all be in glory with Jesus and, and victory will be over all the earth. And it's so great. But you can't live on the mountains. You can go for picnics in the mountains. You can go up with your family and get motivated and come to church on a Sunday and, and, and worship and it's great. But you have to live in a valley. You have to live in a valley. And so John writes these three small letters. They, you can literally read them in 30 minutes this afternoon when you go home. Please do. First, second, and third John. And there John is being a pastor and he's writing to, to people like you and me. This John, this expert on love, this expert on the love of God. And he writes these three letters to people living in this valley between these two mountains. And he says to them, you can't just Love God and be what God wants you to be and do all that stuff when you're on the mountains. You've got to do it in the valley. You've got to do it when you work for a boss who's unethical. You've got to do it when your neighbors keep you up at night. You've got to do it when the taxi drivers cut you off. You've got to do it when somebody is racist towards you. 
You've got to do it when you get cheated, when, when you're around people who, quite frankly, you don't like and who don't like you. And so John tells us, guys, we've got to do this. And the first step is to recognize the glory of those two mountains. We must recognize them and we must thank God for them. Listen, listen to what it says in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a great picture of the two mountains. God loves you. He loves you so much that he has called you his child. Yesterday I was visited by two friends. I've got a little daughter called Eden, and the mom is a, she's a very sickly person, she's very small, and the dad is a big oak. I mean, he's a Dutchman, let's just say it. He is, he's a Dutchie, Afrikaans guy, great guy, big guy. His name is Gert Slabbert, if you think I'm picking on him. I'm on promise, Gerharde Slabbert. He's big, and he is in love. That little girl of his, eh? It's his child. Guys, we are God's children. God loves us. God loves us. He loves us so much, he sent his son into the world. He came himself into the world. You see, unless you genuinely just know that God loves you, despite all your garbage. But then John also says this other mountain, one day you're gonna be like him. One day you're not gonna struggle with this thing and that thing. One day you're not gonna be broken, you're gonna be healed. One day, those two mountains, that passage just paints. A, and if you're struggling with the fact that you think perhaps God doesn't love you, I want you to go home and I want you to read that passage again and again and again. 1 John 3 verse one and two. But then John goes on to say, listen, but we've gotta live in the valley. We've got to actually live in this valley and we've got to do the things that God wants us to do in the valley. It's not just about waiting for the mountaintops. And so he says this in 1 John 4, verse two and three. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now I always, used to see this passage as like, when you're doing, when you're praying for someone who's demon possessed, and it hasn't happened to me often, but it's happened to me once or twice, it's scary, just so you know. It's weird and it's scary. That if you can just get that person to say, Jesus is Christ, 
God is Christ, Christ is God come in the flesh, then they're not really a demon. That's not what this passage means. What John is saying here is that we have to live with a mindset that acknowledges that God actually came into the world and lived like, a, like an actual human being that it wasn't some kind of theoretical exercise that God was doing, that God actually came in the flesh. It's not just something we must say in our head, it's something that must, must be lived out. Because God didn't just come to bring us salvation, he did through his death, but he also came to show us how to live out our salvation, and if you look at the way Jesus lived, he loved his enemies. Doesn't mean he didn't argue with them from time to time. But he genuinely loved them. And so we have to recognize that love is possible in the valley. You see, I think some of us give up. We kind of don't really acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. I mean, we do, but, but we say, no, no, it's impossible, Pastor. You don't understand how messy my valley is. Well, Jesus showed that it is possible. And so we must do it. We must do it. And I know it's a problem. I know it's hard. And so I've said it once already, but I want to say it again because it's so important. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Folks, until we understand that we are loved, until we understand that John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, means me. Don't you like being loved? I can't, I'm, I'm, my grandkids are moving away. You know what I'm gonna miss? They're the only people who just see me and go, Bumba! You know, my kids see me, how's it, Dad? My wife sees me. <laughs> Some days she goes, John! Other days she goes, <clears throat> But my grandkids, 100% of the time, Bumba! Folks, understand that that's how God feels about you. John, every time. For God so loved you that he came to earth to die for you. If you do one thing this year, ask God to teach you how much he loves you. We fail to recognize it. And so we're not able to love ourselves. And so how can we love others 
and our enemies because Jesus says we're supposed to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And if we can't recognize how much we are loved, then we will struggle to love. And so the truth is that we have to learn to love. You know, I'm so grateful that some things about being human are automatic. You know, you don't have, kid doesn't have to grow or, or try, it just happens. Breathing, I'm so relieved, we don't have to concentrate on. It just happens. Eating, it just happens. For some of us it happens too much. But love is one of those things we do have to learn. We have to learn how to love. And Jesus stepped into the world to show us how to love. To show us how to love the people that love us back. And to show us how to love the people that hate us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. This is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. We have to learn to live like Jesus. And I know it feels impossible. And it is. But he enables. I love watching learner drivers. When you first get in that car, it feels, it's impossible, man. How can you, the clutch and everything. And you just see them like. (laughs) And then six months later. (laughs) What's happened? You learned to do what you thought was impossible. Love is the same. Love is the same. We can learn to love, but it doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we allow God to transform us when we become the disciples of Jesus. And we learn by knowing that he loves us. That's what John says, that's how I know God loves. That's how I'm able to love, because he loved me, that's, I know. You see, if you try to do it in your own strength, you can't. Because life in the valley is hard. I don't know if our world's gonna go to war. I don't know what the other Christians are gonna do. I don't know if other people are going to love the enemies. But the word of God tells us that we have a responsibility towards not just our enemies, but towards our neighbors and our brothers and sisters and all of humanity. And it's this, to love. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, and to love our enemies and pray for them. And so, what must we do in the valley of 2020? We mustn't take our eyes off the two mountains on either side of us, they are glorious and they are beautiful. But they are there not so that we can live our lives there, They are there so that we can live in the valley and cultivate the valley and grow crops in the valley and raise families in the valley and do what God wants us to do and bring his kingdom into this valley. 
And the first step in doing that is to love. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Love, love, love. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that we are loved. Thank you that you love us without any conditions. Lord, I have to confess, I was afraid to preach the sermon because because I've got to practice what I preach. But Lord, thank you that you have enabled us to love. And we can love because you first loved us. And so, Lord, as we step out into 2020, as a church family, as individuals, as disciples of Jesus, help us to love in the same way that you love us. Lord, thank you that we will not do this alone. Thank you that we will do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and with your body around us. And so, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his presence with great joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, who loves you and who gave his life for you, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you and have a love-filled week.